I'd invite you to pray with me. Oh, gracious and holy God, it is always gift to have time and space set aside to come before you in your word. Um, Lord, to be gifted by the power of your Holy Spirit so that this word that has been around for thousands of years might be fresh and alive for us this day as you speak into the hearts of our lives. God, uh, be with us. Help to quiet any distractions, anything racing through our minds right now so that we might attend to your spirit, so that we might listen to your word, so that we might follow you, follow you into life. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. So today uh, we are concluding our journey through the feasts and festivals, the high holy days commanded by God to the Israelites as they began their life anew after being enslaved in Egypt. Today we come to the day of atonement, the day of reconciliation, and we turn to learn about it and the ways it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let us listen to God's word for us today as it comes to us from selections from the book of Leviticus. The Lord said to Moses, Note that the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of reconciliation. It will be a high holy occasion for you. You must deny yourselves and offer a food gift to the Lord. You must not do any work that day because it is a day of reconciliation to make reconciliation for you before the Lord your God. Anyone who does not deny themselves on that day will be cut off from their people. Moreover, I will destroy from their people anyone who does any work that day. You must not do any work. This is a permanent rule throughout your future generations wherever you live. This is a Sabbath of special rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. You will observe your Sabbath on the ninth day of the month from evening to the following evening. On the first day of atonement in the book of Leviticus, God gave more detailed instructions uh, to Aaron and his son, um, to Aaron as he prepared to lead the people. Um, and here are some, an excerpt of some of those instructions. He will take the two male goats and place them before the Lord at the meeting tent's entrance. Aaron will cast lots over the two goats, one lot labeled the Lord's and the other lot labeled Azazel's, or scapegoat. Aaron will present the goat selected by the Lord's lot and perform a purification offering with it. But the goat selected by Azazel's lot will be left standing alive before the Lord in order to make reconciliation upon it by sending it away into the wilderness to Azazel. When Aaron had finished reconciling, reconciling the inner holy area, the rest of the meeting tent and the altar, he will bring forward the live goat. Aaron will press both his hands on its head and confess over it all the Israelites' offenses and all their rebellious sins, as well as all their other sins, putting all these on the goat's head. Then he will send it away into the wilderness with someone designated for the job. The goat will carry on itself all their offenses to a desolate region. Then the goat will be released into the wild." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Amen. Uh, So those of you uh, that don't know me well may not know, but our family has a small farm, just 10 acres of land down south in Spring Hill. And in the midst of those 10 acres, we have this smaller piece of land, just a triangle of pasture, where we first grazed the pigs that we raised before we really had a clue what we were doing at all. The pigs we raise are pastured pigs whose genetics set them up to graze grass without rooting up the pasture they are on at the same time. However, for those genetics to work, the pigs have to have the right balance of minerals in their feed. Because if they aren't getting those minerals from their feed, they're going to go looking for it in the dirt. When we first got our pigs, it took us about nine months of experimenting with minerals to get the right mix in our feed. And we also really didn't know what we were doing when it came to rotational grazing. So the first section of pasture we put them on in our upper pastures suffered. Um, Both because they were rooting it up because they were looking for those minerals. And because we we left them on it way too long. It was overgrazed and torn up. And as a result, the nutrient-rich pasture we began with was no more. So you know that phrase, growing like a weed? We use it to describe how fast a child has grown over a short period of time. Because weeds, when they set in, typically grow fast. And they do a really good job of replicating themselves as well. We've been trying to improve that triangle of pasture for a year now to correct our mistake. We planted a native wheatgrass variety last fall. We added in a clover mix this spring. But we have been fighting weeds the whole time as we have tried to get the good, nutritious stuff our pigs will eat to grow. The summers I waited and watched to see how our clover took up there, what I found sprouting up instead was an invasive species of thistle that was taking over almost the entire half-acre area. When the Israelites came to the Day of Atonement each year, they were asked to look out upon the landscape of their life and see what had grown in them over the course of the year before. To look back and look within and see what had taken root and grown up in the pasture of their lives so that they could recognize anything noxious that was growing in them. Anything that threatened to take up precious room in their souls, choking out what God really wanted to grow in them. The day of atonement, the day of reconciliation, was a day to name their sin. To literally pray it into a scapegoat that would carry it away. So when I realized we were losing the pasture battle to the thistles, I enlisted my husband's help to take them out with our commercial mower. George mowed that entire section of pasture down before the thistles had had the chance to go to seed and replicate. And for about a week, I thought we had taken care of the problem. Until one evening, as I was feeding pigs on the other section of pasture up there, I looked over and I saw all those telltale purple flowers rising up from that mo- those mowed over weeds. As I drew closer to investigate, the stems of the thistles had been knocked down and hacked, 
But on so many of them, their roots were still intact, and the stem was not completely severed. So there was enough water and nutrients making its way through the thistle for its flower to rise up and thrive. And if I didn't do something about them before they went to seed, I was going to have an even bigger problem when all those seeds took root and replicated. From a distance, thistles can actually look pretty at first. But if you've ever dealt with one up close, you will know that they are covered with protective pokey spines that can make dealing with them difficult. Ours covered such an area and were so numerous, my plan B after mowing had failed was to just go pick the flowers off the top of the thistles to keep them from replicating. Yet it only took me trying one or two of those and the resulting pain that the spines inflicted even through my thick leather work gloves where I realized plan B wasn't going to work either and I had to move to plan C. I bent over and decided I would try to get the thistle from the root. The first thing that surprised me was to learn that right at the base of the stem, where it's coming up out of the earth, the spines had not yet had a chance to grow, and it was easy to grab hold of the thistle there, even with my bare hands. I pulled to try and get the stem complete with its root up out of the ground, and I was surprised to find it came out easily, root and all. Plan C had been found, but as I looked out over that half acre of thistles, I knew Plan C was going to take some effort, some energy, and some time. So if Jesus can sum up God's commandments to us in these two, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, In doing so, he also reveals to us something about sin and brokenness. If God's commandments are all about relationships, then the ways we break those commandments will be as well. Sin in our lives is always going to lead to or be tied up in the damaging of our relationships. Most of our sinful actions, lying, cheating, stealing, resentment, addiction, greed, lust, violence, have some deeper brokenness at their root that causes these sinful behaviors to sprout up in our lives and harm our relationship with ourself, with our neighbors, and with our God. I found myself trying to imagine what a day of atonement would have felt like had we had the chance to experience it in the flesh. What it would have been to watch the priest grab hold of that scapegoat's head and pray into it all the sins of all the people. How long would we have had to wrestle that goat to make sure he didn't miss anything? Y'all, I handle livestock. It's not easy to hold an animal for very long, right? How much would that goat have fought him? Standing there witnessing it, would I really feel my sin being transferred from my soul onto the head of that poor creature? As we followed the priest as he headed outside the city walls to release the scapegoat into the wilderness, as I watched that goat run free out beyond my line of sight, would I feel a similar release within? Would that freedom last? A week later, would there be any evidence of that sin in my mind, my heart, my spirit? Would the guilt and shame be gone? 
Would the behavior be cast out of me forever? While it is impossible to know what it really would have felt to experience a day of atonement, the history of the people of Israel reveals that the day of atonement may have functioned a lot like my plan A up in our pasture, mowing down the weeds, only to realize their roots in our souls still hold. As you read through the people of Israel's history as recorded in the Hebrew Bible, it's this constant cycle of their sinful behavior, God calling to them account, they're seeking God's forgiveness, only to slip back into sinful behavior once more. I think the same is true for us as well. Because let's be honest, our sin is not something we like to grapple with. Much like that thistle in my pasture, it is spiny and pokey and uncomfortable to deal with. So often we too just want to mow it down without having to get up close and personal to it. We ask God for some blanket forgiveness as we barely let our minds scan over the truth of what is going on within, let alone deal with the deep-seated brokenness that causes so much of our harmful and destructive behavior. Jesus' death on the cross is seen as the final and complete scapegoat that took away our need to perform rituals like the ones described on the Day of Atonement. And if we take that act in, in complete isolation from Jesus' life, we could see it as simply that. But thankfully, we can't. Jesus is not simply a scapegoat an unknown animal plucked from the herd to take on our sins so we don't have to carry the burden of it around anymore by taking it away into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Jesus' act on the cross is meant to restore us to wholeness in our relationship with God, with our neighbor, and with ourselves. It's personal. When Jesus met someone in his years of ministry on this earth, he would get right to the heart of the matter. He would look into their souls and get right down to the root of what was causing their hurt, their pain, their suffering, their isolation, their sin. And he would pour out love and grace over them that healed them, reconciled them, made them whole. Jesus' act on the cross was meant to proclaim that same love and grace over us all in the most powerful and personal of ways. Love and grace poured out specifically over you, specifically over me, specifically over each and every one of us beloved children of God that walk this earth. I deeply believe God's love and grace is strong enough, powerful enough, personal enough to heal and make anyone whole. But it's love and grace given in relationship. And so we have to be willing to receive it for it to be able to work in us. And if we're going to truly receive it, going to let it sink down to the roots of our particular brokenness, we have to draw near those noxious parts of ourselves. We have to deal with those things in us that are spiny and pokey and uncomfortable to be around and to be honest about. 
We have to let ourselves be exposed so that love and grace can rain down upon us. The week before I started pulling thistles in our pasture had been one of those weeks this summer where the rain just never seemed to quit. Amen? Young thistles are always pretty easy to pull, but even the huge ones that had grown deep roots came up easily as I worked that week because that soil was rain-soaked. Y'all, when we let our spirits be soaked in the love and grace of our God, those roots of brokenness, Our fears, our insecurities, the wounds from our past become so much easier to pull from our lives. Y'all, weeding is work. (laughs) It's hard work. Over the course of a week, I would weed for a while when I had extra time, when I fed in the mornings and when I fed at night. I filled four of those huge trash bins with thistles. It took effort and energy. I had to attend to each and every one of those weeds individually. Yet when I finished, the pasture was clear. And now a few weeks later, that wheatgrass and clover we had planted over this last year, y'all, it's thriving. Y'all, we are living through some difficult times, amen? Where all of our proverbial pastures are more susceptible than usual to getting torn up or being overgrazed. It is a time where there is more stress and tension, where so many of our needs weren't met as we have dealt with isolation and fear. It is a time where it would be real easy for noxious stuff to grow up from the brokenness within us and around us. And just like those thistles in my pasture, y'all, that noxious stuff can multiply and grow pretty quickly, taking up all kinds of room and space in our spirits and lives that can keep what God actually longs to grow there from flourishing. Y'all, Jesus isn't just your scapegoat. He's our Savior. Which means he has loved you from before your beginning, has longed for your good your whole life long, and is here ready to pour love and grace over you so that together you can remove anything in you that is destructive to your relationship, to yourself, to your neighbor, and to your God. You can trust him to give you what you need to do the hard work of weeding out that which does not serve you or him from your life. You can trust him with the whole of who you are. Amen.